Hey, welcome to the Test Piece Podcast. This podcast is about all things high-level climbing. My name's Joshua Horsley. I've been climbing for 25 years, and I love staying at the cutting edge of climbing. Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. You ready though? Yeah, let's we, we just gotta get going. Yeah. All right. Tim, my dude, how's it going, man? Josh, what is up? We're late, but we're back. <laughs> we're late. Life, um, all those things, lots of lots of stuff going on. But um, it's you and me again, dude. How's it going? It's going great, man. I'm stoked. I'm stoked for the, today's topic. I've uh, been climbing a lot more than I have in the last couple of years, and I'm going on a climbing trip tonight. Actually, we're going to Moe's Valley for the weekend, trying to get some sun. It's been raining like back and forth, and we were supposed to be in Bishop, I think, the last week and the week before. But we're going to Moe's, and I'm stoked. Did you see that... Uh Instagram post that they did on the roads and everything in Bishop is bad. I I can't remember. Well, I mean, I don't know if they had pictures in Instagram back when I first started going, but um, (laughs) it looks the worst it's ever been. I mean, dude, the roads are seriously washed out. Yeah. They're like fully need to be worked on before people go out there. So yeah, anyone listening and doesn't know the conditions, don't think about going to Bishop anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah, or I if you're gonna do it, go to the buttermilks and you gotta hike in is really what it is. It's like a oh, is that what it is? Walk. Okay. Yeah. Which um honestly, dude, it might be a really fun time to go if you're willing to do that stuff because it'll probably be empty and beautiful. Um mm. and yeah, I, I know that I mean didn't I mean Keenan just did something up there. There's people hiking in. I know I know him and Katie are are willing to to do the trek. So <laughs> um well uh I'm glad to catch you before you went to Moe's, which I've never been to. Is it your first time there too? It's my first time. We're gonna film um on Saturday. We're gonna try I'm gonna try to do every or I'm gonna try to do as many V10s and up as possible. I think there's roughly 30 of them. So we're gonna try to film a video <laughs> of me trying to do all, all of the tens and up. <laughs> In a day. I'm sorry. I la- I laughed to interrupt because um you texted me something about that. I thought like, oh yeah, like that sounds cool, like maybe ambitious. But I didn't know it was thirty double digits and up. That's that's a lot of climbs in a, in a day. Man. Good, good luck. <laughs> it's good a lot. Luck. Thanks. <laughs> I'm stoked. What's the what's kind of like the crown jewel or, or should I say the test piece of the the hard climbs there that you'd uh, be most psyched to do? Um, I don't think this one's necessarily the hardest one, but it's definitely the most classic the one I've seen. Uh, it's called Buka Buka Buka. Uh, it's just that classic, like really big throw. I think it was first done with the toe hooks to the lip first, and then you match the lip. Um, but that's really spanny. And then lately, people have been doing the big throw, bicycle low, match that hole, and then just jump to the to, to the lip. I mean, super short. And that's what's nice about a lot of those hard ones is that they look really straightforward climbing. Like it, it really looks like everything can be done in a couple of tries. So, um. Like we're going to try, but Brennan's trying, um, some, some newer stuff that's being put up there, I think is harder. Um, cause I think Moe's is known as kind of just notoriously soft, but stuff going up nowadays, is definitely a bit more like true to the grade. At least that's what my friends say. And they climb there quite a bit. So, um, Brennan's trying this V13 called force of nature, and I'll probably hop on that with him. There's going to be a couple of climbs that we avoid for the, you know, all in one day, just cause they're probably not going to happen. Um, but otherwise I'll try to send as much volume as possible. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know, Moe's definitely has been on my radar, but anytime I'm going to go out that far, I always want to go to Joe's. Just look, like when you said <laughs> that line, like, Booka, 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 um, I want to say that was Isaac Caldiero did that a while mm. ago. That's that's my my guess. He put up some of the harder stuff there. Um, and it looks cool, but I'm not going to lie. Just all this stuff, it looks a little, a little low ball, a little... Um, I don't know. Just it didn't quite draw me in like Joe's did. But with that said, I've heard it's just just jam packed with really fun climbing, and so I'll I'll uh, keep my eye out for the vlog where you do. What do you think? You think you can do ten? What's it called? Okay, it's a triple double if you do three double three digits in double a day. Uh, what would you call if you did ten double digits in a day? I guess that's a quintuple double. No, no, quintuple is a deca double. It's a deca double. Deca deca double. <laughs> Do a deck of double, Tim. Definitely trying to do more than that. <laughs> triple triple crown in uh, the South was about that, like about 10 double digits-ish uh, in a day. But those are all like, the eights and nines there are like double digits anywhere else uh, try to do. And honestly, all of those climbs took me a handful of tries each. So you know, I, was, I was pulling on 40 or 50 times on those triple crown days. So my expectation is going to be something similar to a triple crown day. And if I climb really really well then i think i can get a lot of those sends um but otherwise the video won't come out and i you know or or i'll just fail and it'll be fun anyway <laughs> like, like we said, otherwise the video just won't come out like if i don't do a bunch of them yeah i think that's pretty ambitious to i mean you make it sound like uh 10 tens and up uh in a day is not that crazy but i i would be very impressed i would be i would be very impressed so yeah we'll good see. luck dude yeah hopefully the weather weather gods are with you um but uh, yeah, let's get on to today's topic. Should we do a pro tip? Well, actually, no. Let's say what today's topic is. And then if we got some pro tips associated with it, which by the way, mine is not associated with the topic whatsoever. That's okay. <laughs> um, today we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about balance. Uh, but the way we landed on that topic is uh, me and Tim were just you know, talking about his clients. And he just was telling me that a lot of his clients ask him the same things, the same questions, and that he always has to begin and zoom out with the fundamentals because the whole goal as a coach is not to uh, you know, marionette you through a climb like a puppet, but to teach you tools and skills that are fundamental to climbing so that you can go and tackle climbs on your own when when you know Tim's not there to hold your hand. Um, so balance really is where uh, Tim... I'll let you chime in where you like to start the conversation. So uh, yeah, that's today's topic. Um, I'm psyched to get into it. Yeah. I mean, just before we kind of go a little bit further in that way, I'll just define a balance in my terms a little bit. Uh, so no matter how you pull onto the climbing wall, there is an optimal way to move. Based on what positions are allowed on the wall, the body should be in balance in order to distribute weight and leverage properly. So just in order to climb well in an optimal state, you have to understand the balance of the wall. If you pull on, you can you can be pulled on off balance and you might have to fix it. You can be pulled on imbalance and you just go with that and that's how it works. But to understand the difference between when there's a natural balance and when there isn't allows you to control that balance. No matter how strong you are, no matter how good of a climber I've picked up as, from clients, I've picked up probably in between 50 and 70 clients in the last year or two. And every single person I teach the fundamentals because whether you like it or not, everyone who goes into the climbing gym, you can climb V10 in your first year of climbing which is what I did, but I guarantee you, I did not learn anything truly at the fundamental stage. Uh, I had great coaches and they taught me a lot of stuff, but climbing isn't this sport that has true instruction at, you know, ease of access. You, you go in, you, you know, you talk to the person who's better than you and they might teach you how to 
get up a climb successfully and maybe spray and you know teach you things that you maybe don't know but there's no foundational learning for climbing instruction and that's kind of my goal with this is to see what's the most important to learn at the fundamental level first and how does this apply at the highest level these are things still things that i focus on in my climbing every day and i'm you know well in the double digits i climb you know high 514 whatever it is i still focus on balance every day that i climb on all of the climbs that i hop on i'm looking for balance and i'm paying attention to it yeah, yeah I, th I think that this is the just the the basics of technique really right this is where it all really comes from and so we're trying to start just at you know step one and uh what i hear you saying that shows us that we're on the right track is that it really scales you know it scales in the sense that you you need to talk about this on day one on VB or V0, and you need to talk about this. This is still the conversation we're having, maybe in different terms at V17. Um, so let's get into it, but I'm going to give you my pro tip first because uh, I just pulled this out of my, my pro tip bag, and it has nothing to do with balance, although I'm sure we could somehow spin it towards balance if we really try. But uh, Tim, uh, sometimes there's some hard moves on pinches. Um, pinches can be uh, a tricky tricky hold for people. And this is a really basic pro tip, but when I struggle on pinch moves, I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I just can't, I can't hold this. Like it's a bad pinch or I have to go too far for this. Uh, what I really focus in on is my thumb. And this sounds obvious because a pinch uses your thumb, but I just mean literally when I think about what I need to do to hold the hold better, really thinking about your thumb versus just pinching. It's usually, maybe it's a climber thing that we really think about our fingers and crimping, but surprising how much just focusing on the thumb portion and, and the squeezing will unlock you know that extra 5%. And uh, yeah, I, I've used it. Uh, it's been my tip for people on the wall often because I'd say I, I was naturally good at pinches and I've met a lot of people who aren't so good at pinches naturally. And half the time it's, it's they just they don't really want to squeeze they they want to hold it mm. but it's that thumb engagement that pressure with the thumb that makes it a pinch so if you struggle with a pinch hold use you know don't just use your thumb put your effort and thought on the thumb portion of the squeezing man i love that pro tip i love how you explained that very last sentence you just said, don't just use your thumb, put effort and thought into using your thumb. And that's kind of really the point of your pro tip is that, you know, when people put their hands onto a pinch, of course, their thumb is being used, but maybe aren't using it as much as it can be used. And uh, to double on that pro tip, pinch whatever hold you can, it, it'll create more pressure and more opposition for all holds. I, I pinch dual text holds, crimps. I pinch anything that I can put my thumb on if there's surface area available for it. And if there's proper leverage for my fingers to turn in that way, I'll pinch almost every single hole. Just it's, it's my strongest finger. I might as well use it the most, right? And it's actually a pro tip that can be doubled into footwork as well, um, which I don't really want to go into because it kind of doubles into all fundamentals, but everyone puts their feet on the wall. Everyone uses their feet, but put effort and thought into using your feet and actually use them in a creative way. That pro tip can be doubled in so many different ways, but pinching is a big one. I think it's very underrated because so many people think they can pinch because people grab pinches all the time at, you know, any level of climbing, but are we actually using our thumbs to the degree that they should be used? Probably not. That's a great pro tip. And go listen to that, that uh, episode we did on footwork for how, ways uh, to put intention in your feet, but what that intention means and how to really think about applying that intention. And, and uh, just cause we love going down uh, rabbit holes. Do you, I was thinking about how I pinch, like, do you, okay. So sometimes we just pinch with like the tip of our thumb, right? Like you would pinch mm. and, and put like the tip of your thumb, but I will pinch sometimes with the next 
knuckle or like joint on my thumb. And then sometimes you'll even kind of like do the squeeze Curl thumb? Like the oh, side yeah. of your thumb. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, I, I'm pretty sure if we wanted to, we could spend the whole time just on, on pinching. But like, <laughs> isn't it interesting how you know, yeah, I sometimes, I often pinch where dude, the tip of my thumb is away. Thumb. Yeah, I got yeah, yeah, for everyone who's listening. Wow. Yeah, I go I really bend my thumb back and then I just use that um yeah, the next joint is where I often will grab. Mm. That's kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. use I use the the tip of my thumb pretty hard when I pinch stuff, but I also I will turn my my thumb uh sideways to use kind of the inside knuckle of my thumb a lot in pinching and that's mostly because of the direction of my wrist so if i'm spanning out for like hard pinch moves i'll do this so that i can you know reach a little bit further mm -hmm. away and it provides best leverage because if you direct grip uh, a pinch more so you can't turn your wrist appropriately so if you're going kind of sideways or lateral for movements and they're really spanny you can't you can't pinch holds like that so unless you're turning the hold literally that way but otherwise you can just turn your thumb and the wrist orientation is a lot more comfortable but yeah there's so many ways you can use your thumb <laughs> Dude, it just makes me think of uh, just tufas and limestone. I don't know. I'm already, I'm trying to plan a trip to to Greece um, next year, and like just I don't know. I have this thing about just like <laughs> pinching these beautiful blue limestone tufas. It's just to me, it's like the most. It's like the coolest form of climbing. And when you find those climbs where you're kind of like just grabbing these these two pinch tufas and moving between them. I don't know. To me, that's like the most fun thing ever. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Just got, I just, my hands got a little sweaty, got a little sun, but um, all right, Tim, I'm back to no more pinching. Uh, what's your pro tip uh, that I have a pro is more tip. related to today's topic? Um, so I have a word here. It's called plumb line. Um, a little phrase. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of you have probably heard this in climbing. If you haven't plumb line is where your body's center of mass is already displaced found through ideal foot positioning and hip placement. So what does that kind of look like? So the, the, the example that I use was imagine pulling on all limbs spread, you know, feet to the side, arms to the side. If you let go of one of your arms, your body will pivot into that place to displace your center of gravity as it is. It's going to swing into that spot. So we naturally put our body or we force our body into that position already, displace that center of mass and then when we let go of the hand, our body's not going to sway anywhere. So you see this in, it's important for clipping. It's important for alleviating impact for matches or just being precise with more hand movements. It's important for so many different things. And it's probably found naturally for most people just on the climbing wall as it is. When finding your plumb line in hard movements, move around more dramatically than you think. You probably have to find it. So that this can be anyone applied for you. I mean, for hard movements. Anytime you see hard movements, find the plumb line. It is found. It's somewhere there. Obviously, even if you're jumping, there's technically a dynamic plumb line there. You're going to land at height. You hear this all the time. You know, hit holds engage, land at height so that you're not kind of fighting your, your center of gravity's natural direction. Um, but that's too complex. So when we're talking about, just think about clipping stances, right? For, you know, doubling off of our last podcast, our sport climbing podcast, you're always finding your plumb line. You're always finding the, the position where your hip your hips and your center of gravity is already displaced and you can find it more dramatically than you always think. You can always do this a little bit more. I think a lot of us get very lazy with it and just use our strength to kind of bypass that plumb line. And we don't have to, you can always find it by moving around a little bit more than you think. Yeah. I, I think that the, the clipping stance is the best way for me to understand this uh, is if you go to clip. So you, you, know, you have four points on and you take one hand off to grab the rope to clip and you swing or you move like all of a sudden now you have to stop that momentum, control it, you know, get 
uh, you know, all of a sudden you like overgrip with everything, got all tense because uh, you swung out and then you clip. And you should have just shifted into the position where taking your hand off caused no movement whatsoever. And, uh, you know, this is classic for uh, all sorts of moves, but I just think there's something about the clipping stance that really, in my mind's eye, I can see that really clearly where you're just wasting a bunch of effort. And um, yeah, it, it, it's just not a good call. So, um, yeah, I really and like you just that. don't understand balance. If you, if you don't find that plumb line, you just don't understand balance. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of natural plumb lines out there. You just grab a hold, set your feet up and you just may not swing. And that's a great natural plumb line, but often plumb lines will be active, right? You can just use high heel hooks and engage in there's your plumb line. It's, it's active, but there's your plumb line. You can turn a drop knee even deeper and you're not going to sway your hips. You know, you can just lean further one way and that's active, but there's your plumb line, right? And that if you understand balance, then you can find the plumb lines. So I just want to keep digging into this idea of balance since it's our topic. And I really want to try to define it uh, as, as best as we can. Um, and I, I guess when I hear the word balance, sometimes I can get a little confused or sucked into this idea of maybe like you're on a slab climb. And it, to me, it's maybe more obvious where in a slab climb, you feel like this is balance. And people talk about balance and slab climbing, but I know that we're talking about all forms of climbing. We're talking about a roof climb um, and you know a dyno and uh, like a slow lockoff. And so maybe we can go into some examples of what uh, what you mean by this term balance in some of those different scenarios, maybe that are very diverse. You know, like a, a, a maybe a slab World Cup climb and uh, you know a steep crimp ladder or something. Yeah. So I think that's where it becomes really complex is we try to understand balance in all forms, but it's not necessarily about that. You know, I think it becomes more complex when you look at scenario to scenario and you kind of see each situation for itself. But it is important to go back to that original definition. No matter how you pull onto the climbing wall, there's an optimal optimal way to move, right? So you have to understand, okay, you're not just pulling onto positions. Sometimes you, you know, establishing positions is hard, but your goal in climbing is to move, correct? You're finding an optimal way to move the easiest way so that your body works cohesively, right? So if you have feet and you need to use your feet, you have a technique here, you have this heel hook. Okay. So just because I have this heel hook, if I don't know how to use my body cohesively with the balance that I have in using this heel hook, Maybe that heel hook's not the correct thing to do. You'll see this all the time in these really modern, you know, climbers videos and whatnot. People are doing these weird inside heel hooks, weird drop knees, and then going with the other hand, but it looks in balance. It looks, it looks correct. Well, that's just a new way of finding an optimal way to move, right? And, and not to say that I know all the optimal ways to move. When I coach people, it's not, here's the optimal way to move. I say, there is an optimal way to move. Let's find it, right? We go backwards from our fall. We try, we pull on, right? It's important to teach yourself balance. So pull onto the climbing wall, try to stabilize without just using your strength. Your body wants to sit in natural positions. It wants to, it wants to pull on to handholds, find the foot options that you have, and it wants to find where it feels the most natural. And we often use our strength. We often use our arm strength, our finger strength. We pull in, we pull, you know, we pull into the position harder than we need to, instead of finding what our feet naturally want to be in that position, you know, we want to find a natural position for our feet to be actually used, right? Then we have to kind of just assign where we're supposed to go. And we try to figure out the options that we have. And then we work, we work from there. And there's probably a balance that's found in every climbing position, no matter what it is, you just have to understand what optimal is and work backwards from there. Yeah, that word optimal is really important. When you talked about uh, heel hooks, have you ever found one of those moves where 
there's like a sucker heel hook where you put the heel on, it's just absolute jug. You feel super solid, but then you can't reach the next hold or, or like you, you can't generate, or it's just interesting how, even though, you know, and this is that nuance when it gets to higher climbing, uh, and you'll see, I would see this with, uh, other climbers I'd, I'd bump into that maybe they were a little bit lower and they would do something that felt great. They're like, Oh, look, I'm going to sink this heel hook. And then they're like, but I'm stuck. I don't know how to get the next move. It's like, well, the heel hook is not serving you. Yes, I know it feels good in that position, but there's more complexity in getting to the next hold than just maybe that was a good clipping position, right? Maybe they uh, could find that plumb line there, but that did not satisfy the the next move for them. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think about how we can can best tackle this. Um, I, I think actually, I wanted to to say one little anecdote that I hope will help us go through these grades and, and, uh, and figuring out balance in these different scenarios and why balance might be different at a V zero level than, you know, V 15 level. And I remember having this realization where, you know, I don't know, I'm climbing V five and I like, I need to get stronger. I see these V sevens and V eights and I get stronger and I would do V seven or V eight. And then all of a sudden I would see the V nine or V 10 and I would, realize that, oh, I need to figure out climbing better. And I would get into these positions where it didn't feel comfortable anymore, where with the V7, I'm, I think I'm more talking about in the gym with the V7 or the V8, I just had to understand the sequence. And it was like, oh, you need to put your heel here. And then you just stand up and yes, you have to be strong, but it wasn't that weird once you figured it out. And then all of a sudden I realized, hey, uh, there's only one foot here. Like there's, there's no there's no heel hook and I'm not missing something. I'm not somehow missing something. And I realized that I had to be more comfortable with a new type of technique uh, that wasn't quite necessarily all points on. And I will say it kind of keeps going in these waves where then maybe you do V11 or something and you look at V12 or V13, and you realize, oh, I actually have to get stronger again. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you realize, wait, strength is not enough. And I need to, again, uh, understand these new uncomfortable positions. And so maybe Tembi can uh, kind of go along this journey where uh, we understand, maybe we can understand balance points in a really simple uh, version in the earlier grades. But we all know that as climbs get harder, it's not just a matter of reading the sequence and finding the the trick. Oh, I just needed to put my heel. I needed the hand foot heel, and now it's easy. Sometimes it's not comfortable, and we feel off balance. So yeah, uh, is that good? Uh, did I tee up the, a softball for you, or is that uh, going the right direction? Yeah. So two two different things. I do want to tackle kind of what you're talking about, uh, where you're talking about this like allowed execution, this allowed leverage. So you know, the, it's your classic experience. You were breaking into the harder grades. You know, I've climbed a bunch of V fours. I've climbed a bunch of V fives. I'm gonna pull onto this V seven, right? I'm like, okay, dope. This V seven. Wow, this looks really hard. There's weird, you know, there's weird holds, and the the feet don't necessarily look exactly where they're supposed to be. And I have to create leverage. I have to create stances based on what I have, right? So, depending on your strength level, depending on your size, and depending on your technical toolbox, seeing you know what are you used to already doing, how good are you using, you know, how good are you at interacting with very specific techniques, right? Like specifically a heel hook. You know, if, if you're a brand new climber and you haven't done very many heel hooks, guess what? 
you're not that good at heel hooks, right? You've got to practice those things. There's, you have to practice your technical toolbox and actually work on very specific things, rockovers, dead points, drop knees, heel hooks. You have to work on all those things and actually see how good you are at them so that you can actually assign that on the climbing wall. Now you have to be able to assign to yourself, okay, what am I supposed to do to get from point A to point B, right? And of course we want to start at the technical toolbox, but a lot of people will look kind of on all aspects. Like, do I just jump? You know, can I just, can I just jump to this hold? Can I, you know, use this lower foot? Can I use this higher foot? And sure, you can use all of it, right? But it's kind of just about knowing what you're supposed to do and then working backwards from there. And, and again, like what I do with every climber, I, I can't necessarily know exactly how strong somebody is or how good they are at using one technique or another. But I watch their fall and I work backwards from there. And I try to just say like, okay, well, you wanted to rely on this type of thing and this is what you wanted to do. Why would we want to do that, right? Like, can we define why that's actually important for this move? And then do we keep ironing that out? Do we keep teaching ourselves how to do this? Do we kind of move forward and say, is, is there a different way? Is there a better way? It's important to assess all options for all climbing movements and then kind of work backwards from there. Like which ones, which ones work the best for me? Um, now here's a way, here's a way and kind of Josh once started talking about off balance. Here's a way to kind of assess what maybe isn't so good is kind of seeing an off balance stance. So what is, what is an off balance stance? So an off balance stance is if you kind of pull on right away, uh, Actually, maybe it's better to find what an imbalance stance actually is. So there's a natural imbalance way of getting on. So generally, if you want to go right-handed somewhere, put your right foot on somewhere and use that as your proactive foot, it's the most natural way to find balance. If you're trying to go right-handed to something, look for a place to put your right foot on. If you have a good place to put your right foot on and you can derive leverage off of that position, that's going to be your most comfortable way of finding an imbalance movement. Now, off-balance movements are when you can't find that, right? If you pull on, you're like, okay, I only have left foot options. This is, I'm going right hand, but I only have left foot options. Okay. So you can use, you can always derive your movements from the lowest part of your body first. Look for, you know, can we derive from our feet? Can we derive from our knees? Can we use our hips? Can we use our arms? Naturally, off-balance stances are more counterintuitive when it comes to creating leverage and momentum, but we can be creative. We can use a back step, switch our feet, hand heel matches. We can pogo, you know, depend, it depends what you can or cannot do, but that's kind of what we look for. You know, are we in a naturally imbalanced stance or naturally off balance stance? And what do we do with that? Right. But we have to be able to define that. And what I use is that general, if I want to go right-handed, I look for a right foot. Do I have a right foot, right? And if I don't have that, then what do I do with this instead? And it always depends. It just depends on what climbing, you know, movement you're on, what options you have, right? And options are always going to be the first place I look. What can you do, right? And people, this is where also bias comes in where people say, well, I can do these things, right? I have this classic thing with all of my clients here. Well, you know, I say, what are all your options for this one movement? It's like, well, I can do this with my foot here and I can do this with my foot here. It's like, no, not what you think you can do. What is possible to be done? What is possible to be done in this position in order to get from this position to the next position? What is possible? How can we reorient the body to get this move done? How is it possible to do that? And if the more we open our minds up and, you know, kind of be open-minded and say, well, it's possible to do all of these things. The more we say that, the more we can assess, okay, well, because we're in an imbalance or off-balance state, but we need to accomplish these types of movements or mechanics, this is how we find it. And we just, we just look and experiment and test. And we have to just teach our bodies in that way. I, I love that you broke it down to the most basic idea of how to make a move easy. This, this idea that um, the most kind of, I don't know, physically simple way to move up with a right hand is probably something like a high step with your right foot. I, maybe it doesn't have to be a high step, just a, a movement up with your right foot. And you can imagine. And, and also something you said that you kind of gloss over a little bit quickly was 
using the lowest point on the wall to generate from. So if you put your right foot up onto a higher foothold, you're probably using your left foot to assist your weight getting onto that right foot. And you can see that transfer of, of movement and energy from, you know, you're standing up with your low leg, you're rocking that weight onto the upper leg, you're moving your hips up and your body's going up with that. And then you're able to grab the, the next hold. Um, and so I, I really wanted to emphasize that lowest point. Um, but then it's interesting how sometimes, and this is what you're kind of deconstructing is what is possible? What if your well, maybe your left foot is so low and outstretched that you can't uh, get any weight on it, so you can't actually generate from there. Okay, like you know, is it all on your right foot? Um, you know, do you have to really use that leg? Can you lock off more with your left arm? And it, it actually made me think of this move I did la last season. Last season, there's something called Lost Souls in up here in Tahoe, and it kind of culminates with this big move, dude, it's, it's so sick. It's such a good climb. <laughs> Anyone out there, it's like V10, uh, up in, in Donner summit. It's so good. Uh, and you have to do this kind of jump move to the lip and you have a, a decent left hand and you have a really high right foot, like really, really, really high right foot. And you have a kind of a lower, uh, left foot. So it's just like what you're talking about, but the way you generate is that right foot's too high. And that left hand is too bad to actually, you know, just kind of lock off or stand up on. So you take your right arm off the wall and then you do an arm pogo to get that upward momentum to then stand up on the foot to go to the, to the lip. And I, hopefully that just kind of, you know, uh, shows what you're talking about in, in a very extreme, like, I mean, I would have never thought of that. I, I don't know. I, I, so I had to see someone do that. What happens if you don't do that? If you don't arm pogo? You, I just can't get enough momentum and movement. So when I take my, when I go for it, I, I just can't get enough effort to get enough weight onto my right foot to stand up. So I kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell so me where I'm, where I'm going wrong here. You probably can. You probably can derive enough momentum. You probably can. But what you can mm. do is you can't control it. You can't be stable, right? You're, you're opening up your hip there, right? Your arm pogoing to open up your, your, your body in this more square stance so that you can be in the correct trajectory, right? Like when we open up our bodies in that way, it's why we, when we do like pogos and stuff, we, we kind of let our hips drag away from the wall. It helps us define our trajectory a little bit more precisely, right? So th that balance is not only to optimally generate in cohesion with the, with our entire body. It's also to create stable stances It's actually to understand, you know, what is a clean way you'll, you'll see strong climbers all the time. You can tell when we've Josh and I've said this so many times, you can tell how good somebody is when they pull on B zero. Right. And it's kind of their understanding of how to create balance and how to use the balance that they have on the climbing wall. That's what's happening. They're just looking clean. They're floating. They're using all of their body properly. Right. So when you create space, with that arm pogo, you're, you're actually just allowing yourself to isolate other parts of your body and use those in a more clean fashion. If you put your other arm on the wall there, you would have just derived from the wrong place, right? You would have used that other arm as well from that same point, but that's not where you need to be using it for. Yeah. And, and something I thought about when you were pointing that out is that theoretically, someone out there is probably strong enough to do it without an arm pogo. They could just lock it off and stand up. But uh, I mean, that's not optimal. And also it wasn't optimal for me. Um, you know, maybe someone, maybe you could make some argument that someone has poor coordination, they should lock it off. But anyways, yeah, that, that, that's interesting that it's not that, uh, there wasn't another way there probably was, uh, but 
it was not optimal. It did not provide the the trajectory and the movement that I needed to I needed to succeed. Yeah, think about it this way. So everybody can picture somebody climbing up a ladder, right? So when you when you pull onto a ladder, you just you know match the first rung that you see and put your feet on, right? You go right handed. Your right foot's the higher one. Then you put your left foot high and you go left handed. Then you put your right foot high and you go right handed. Now you can mash every single position. But why is that optimal, right? We're not, we're trying to go from point A to point B to C to D to E, right? But we're not trying to match each position and then recreate leverage. We don't have to do that. And that's how everybody starts climbing, right? Everybody goes into the gym and pulls on the climbing wall. And the first time up, you, you can see everybody's tight arms, you know, hip, you know, face right next to the wall and just, you know, just, I, I can't describe this as well as I can picture, but you, everyone knows what it looks like when somebody goes on the climbing wall for the first time and pulls on and just starts brushing up the wall, right? And then you, somebody teaches them like, well, you know, you can derive off this lowest foot point and just turn. You can just turn your body and reach as far as you can and then switch your feet again and then reach as far as you can, right? And that's kind of how we start to see the balance a little bit more. So, you know, when you pull onto a ladder, right, the next time you pull onto a ladder, you're going to be like, oh, dude, like every rock climber who pulls onto a ladder can so quickly just step, pull, grab, step, pull, grab, step, pull, grab as far and, you know, as optimally as you can. Now, climbing is just that ladder analogy, just more complex, right? There's, it's the exact same thing as climbing a ladder, but you aren't allowed to step right underneath. You, you aren't allowed to just grab a jug bars and just keep pulling, right? There's more compromised positions than just climbing up a ladder. But no matter what, no matter how hard the climbing is, you're climbing a ladder. You just have a compromised ladder and you have to figure out there's a proper balance as a proper optimal for climbing a ladder, a regular ass ladder, right? But we have to figure out what is compromised and how do we counter that, right? I'm just laughing because I can imagine all the setters being like, no, dude, my, my stuff is not a ladder. Do not, <laughs> how dare you call my climbs a ladder? Um, okay. Uh, so I guess, you know, we talked about how someone stands in front of a climb and you're asking them to figure out all of the possible solutions. And we just kind of did that. My uh, little, uh, you know, tidbit on that lost soul was all of a sudden when you said, I realized that, wait, there probably was another way to perform that exact movement in a different way and, and arguably suboptimal way. So uh, how does one go about uh, deciding which balance or which movement will provide them with the best balance? And I, I think my question after that and I'll just prep it now, but we can just go into that first one about how to deconstruct the move is uh, how, let me think, how would you tell someone to figure out what they can adjust to find better balance in each move, if that makes sense. So first it's like, this is the repertoire of, of possibilities. How do I figure out the one that's probably best for me. And then once I figure out which is best, how do I make it the most comfortable or, or quote unquote, like on balance versus off balance? But yeah, you can either go after both of those or just one at a time. You know, that's a really hard question to answer. Uh, I think that's why, to be honest with you, that's why coaching exists. That's why I have a job uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a good climber. I can see these things. And, you know, when people ask, not only do I have to create the framework, you know, like we're doing right now, this is the framework for asking the right questions, but I have to be able to answer those questions, right? So when people ask like, okay, so now I understand balance, I understand mechanics, I understand how to sequence this thing, right? And now that I have this, like, what's the best thing to do? And I'm like, okay, so let's ask a question, right? The, the, the very first thing that everyone should do is ask a question, is this the best way to do it? 
can I do something else? You know, whatever question should be asked in that moment, it, it generally should be kind of working backwards. And the best way to answer that question is probably ask someone better than you. Ask someone who's climbing better than you, maybe, you know, less just not the guy who's the strongest at the gym, but someone who clearly looks a little bit more fluid than you do. There's always somebody to ask. And if you really trust yourself, film yourself, look at the video and actually see, you can see it. You know, what are you deriving from first? What what are you actually using to create momentum, to create leverage, to create strength on the climbing wall, to create tension? What are you using? What part of your body, right? And if it's usually your arms first, you're probably not in a state of balance. You're probably just campusing and you're really strong, right? With a foot on as assist, right? But instead of using, you know, instead of seeing it that way, why don't we see, can we use our foot more? And what more options are there possible to see where we can generate more from our feet? I generally just look mostly at the lower body and then see how that works in cohesion with our upper body. Sometimes it's a bunch of different things. You know, sometimes it literally is this, this person's not strong enough to do, to perform this type of technique or this type of mechanic. This person doesn't understand the mechanic. Sometimes it's the pro tip that Josh brought up where you are just not thinking about the mechanics at play. Okay. You're grabbing this pinch and you're just not thinking about using your thumb. It's actually a very, very common one for me. The vast majority of my coaching is you are not thinking about using your foot for that entirety of the time. That foot work there is a mechanic. We can go into mechanics, but that's a mechanic, right? Whatever you're just doing with your foot, you're rocking over your heel hooking, you're, you know, drop kneeing here, you're backstepping, you're, you're doing this for the longevity of your movement, right? And it falls apart towards the end of it. Okay. So check it out. Let's just use what we have. Let's use our mechanics for a longer period of time. Let's focus on that, right? Because generally I think I, I pick up a lot of climbers who do know balance, at least intuitively, right? And Again, we, we should talk about intuition, how to develop balance through intuition, of course. Like that's, you know, Josh, I remember when I brought up balance to Josh, Josh was like, I don't get it, dude. Like, I was like, you don't get it because you already know balance. You don't get it because you're already doing this in all of your climbing, right? But it's important to define so that we can control, right? If we understand where balance comes from and where it doesn't come from and what takes our balance away, then we can control more. We can pick more betas. We can, tr we can try more things, right? But here's the answer to your question. Try more, experiment more, ask more. Can we do more? Is there more that we can do? Are we doing this the best way even, you know, even though this is the only way we think this is going to go, are we still even doing that option the best way? Are we executing properly? You know, there's so many questions you can ask yourself, but you know, in order to find what is in proper balance, your body should be working in cohesion with itself. It should, it should not be fighting it. It should not, you should not be just pulling through movements unless you actually have to find that that is the easiest way to do a move. The, I think, I think you touched on both number, my first question and that follow-up question. Uh, so I, I want to, dive deeper into that first one where there's uh there's a lot of potential ways to do the move and you you said something about intuition and uh how yeah i, I didn't like i kind of understood what you mean meant by balance but it, you know i i think i do climb with more intuition where when i grab a couple of holds i just kind of let it happen i, I just i just ask my body where do you want to be Kind of like, and this makes me think of some of that plumb line um, where I just start kind of hunting around. I, it's like, should I hand, should I hand foot match? Like, should I put my foot in weird places? And I think, yeah, I think we talked about this one time uh, where I did uh, this climb called Crown Jewel out in in Tahoe as well. And what really struck me as interesting is I, I had to do some like layback move at the top, and I you know, was flashing it or I didn't flash the climb, but uh, that it was a taller climb and I didn't know what to do at that part. And I was laid back. And when you think about laybacking, you would think about 
if you're laid back and you would probably put your opposite foot to help you do the move. And I just did some kind of like weird inside flag thing. I can't remember exactly what I did, but I used the wrong foot um, from traditional, but it just felt like that's what I had to do. And it made the move really easy. And so uh, I like that idea of experimenting more where you, it's like, well, no, of course this has to be a left foot. Well, if you put your right foot on uh, and just starting to narrow down what is possible by actually trying Although God, it just can get so complex there because it's like, well, you should put your right, your left foot should normally go there, but when you put your right foot, it works if you, you know, sag your hips in this certain way to open up like a new angle that makes more weight on that right foot. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have more to say on that first thing about how to understand all the possibilities and narrow down what might be optimal for you, but it's it's not. It's not super simple and straightforward. And we recognize that. And so we try to build intuition like you're talking about. The, the why is the most important thing there, right? Because you're talking about, okay, so you, you find the place and you ask your body, like, where's the most comfortable place? It's like, okay, dope. Like, this is the most comfortable place. And then you have to ask yourself, why did I just do that, right? So it depends. Are you What are you trying to accomplish, right? You have to understand what are you trying to accomplish? So that crown jewel kind of situation you're talking about, if you had done one foot versus the other, there are pros and cons that happen from that position. There are allowances that happen with that position. If you put your right foot on instead of your left foot, you can do certain things, but it will limit certain things. And you put your left foot on and do a flag, it will, you know, accomplish certain things, but it'll also limit certain things, right? You just have to figure out the things that it limits. Is that actually going to counter the move that I'm trying to accomplish? Or, you know, are these pros good enough so that it actually accomplishes the move? I, explain that pretty poorly, but you know, you, you kind of get what I'm saying. There, there are certain limitations for whatever balance you find. And you just have to figure out, is that in line with what movement you're trying to accomplish? You have to ask yourself, why did I just do that? And why should I do this? Right? What do I need to do this movement? Because sometimes survival is the most important part there. Sometimes just being in that stance and creating tension and holding that position so that you can match, so you can be precise for the next movement. So you can clip Sometimes that is the most important thing. And that's the why, right? But sometimes you can do that coupled with that aggressive foot stance, which is going back to that sport climbing podcast. We kind of set our feet up and find balance through really high, uncomfortable feet, through really tight, you know, back flags, really tight drop knees and whatever. We preset high feet to do the next move while finding the comfortable survival stance that's in front of us, right? And that's efficient climbing. Efficient climbing is finding these aggressive feet, but still being comfortable in that stance. It's probably what you were doing on Crown Jewel is you found the aggressive foot, but it was also a comfortable survival stance because the position you were in was already hard to hold. Now, again, that's why it's dependent on scenario to scenario, but you have to figure out why. Why do I do what I do, right? Okay, this is comfortable. Now I found what's comfortable. It's, it's very easy for people to find what's comfortable. You pull onto the climbing wall, figure out options you have, and you find what is the most comfortable, right? Then you do the next move and you're like, okay, no longer is the important thing to do here, right? I found what's comfortable, but as soon as I go for this next move, this foot picks, this one's too far. I go too fast, right? Okay. So what's your next option that is comfortable, but still accomplishes the thing that you're trying to accomplish, right? This is super intuitive for climbers. Everyone knows this, right? Everyone knows this when they're actually climbing, but it's important to define. It's important to understand because it allows us to actually use that process to find beta, to understand mechanics that we lack strength in that lack awareness in we just you know don't know how to fire these mechanics because you know you can you can be told this is the beta but if you don't know why you're doing that you probably won't commit to it 
You probably won't, right? It'll, you have to teach yourself how to commit to certain betas. Someone can tell you now, if you're very strong and you know balance and you know technique, then someone can teach you the, the beta and say, all right, this is what you're supposed to do. You still pull on and you probably have a bias towards what's good and what's not, right? But you have to kind of figure that out. You have to experiment and feel it for yourself. What is successful? And you kind of have to just commit and, and go for it. You can hear that in good climbers giving other climbers good beta where it's not just like grab this side pull. It's really dig into this and really get weight over on your left foot or something. It's very uh, explanatory along why you're doing what you're doing. Not just that, oh, well, it's a side pull. So grab this one, not that other side pull. And uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of uh, if we can, you know, put a nice a pin in there or a bow on it for how people can tackle these different issues. And and what I'm, what I'm hearing is you have to pull on and understand why each position, what the, what the pros and cons are of each position. And that's one of those things we talked about earlier where I talked about getting suckered into a move. It's like, oh, this heel hook feels really good for staying here and great maybe for chalking up for, for clipping, but it's hindering your movement to the next move. And I see people get stuck in these loops where they just want it to work when it just doesn't. And so I, I think maybe uh, another good way, and I think we've talked about this, especially in comp climbing, is kind of working backwards. So you know, okay, this is the move and this is where I'm going to be. So what kind of needs to happen? Or what, what, what needs to be allowed for me to achieve that that end position because maybe something like a heel hook or a knee bar will not allow it to happen. Um, totally. Yeah. That, here's an actionable, right? here, here, here's an actionable for people. You know, I, I do this constantly every day in my climbing. I'll, I'll jump, I'll jump between blindsiding and assigning. So blindsiding would just be pull on to whatever climb, you know, just figure out the grade that you're going to pull onto, like, you know, through through your entire warm-up some climbs you should blindsight just pull onto the start don't read the entire thing don't read anything don't even scan the climb just look at the next available handhold that you think you should go for and set your body up in the best way and of course if you're not good at this the best way is probably not going to be the best way and if you fall fall right just figure it out just you know see what happened and then look back and say what what did you actually do try to see what you actually just did try to remember and then try to, you know, and then keep going and then just figure out what your body naturally wants to do and adjust that over time, of course, but then also do assigned movements, also sequence the climb, read through the whole thing, exactly how Josh just explained it. Actually, this is a big thing that I do with my clients as well. I have them sequence out loud exactly what's going on, plus the mood, right? So plus the, the mood of the tension, you know, the, the panic, like whatever it is, like, okay, in this spot, I'll probably feel like this. So I counter by doing this, right? It's a very important part of sequencing, but sequence and assign all of the little mechanics, all the little things as much as you can use that sequencing to assign certain things. And you'll see the difference between the blind sighting and that's building your intuition and then assigning through like, you know, you'll see something and you'll pull on and be like, okay, whatever I just told myself is not going to work. Whatever I just told myself is not the best thing to do or whatever I just told myself works really well. And I really like that. Right. And you've actually started to learn. There's so many climbers. And if you find yourself, you heavily weight towards one where you always sequence and you're always assigning yourself exactly what to do. And you pull on, you're super good at visualization. You're never against your beta. Then go on and blind sight more, go and tie in into a sport climb and just pull on to, you know, 11 D and just go up as fast as you can. And just do the best that you can do with the sole goal of 
climbing it the best that you can do, right? And if you do that often where you never sequence and you never fully look through and you, you're always sticking a crux move, you're flashing the crux move for your friends and you have no idea where to put your foot. So I just called out so many people, I'm sure. And then you don't know what you're doing, then do more of, then do more of that. If you're always just pulling on and your body's so intuitive, you know exactly what you're supposed to do every time, but you just can't see on the climbing wall and you can't see all the best options, but you can feel what's good enough sequence more, see what's possible, right? Fall, look at the climb again and say, what was possible? What should I have done? Right? This, this is the best actionable practice I, I can provide for finding balance. See the difference between what you naturally want to do and what you should do based on your knowledge, right? And always flex that, flex that knowledge. You know, you can, you can be proven wrong and you can be proven right. And that's good in climbing. I will say that those few times where my intuition has just taken over in an area where I didn't expect something to happen. Like that, that, uh, crown jewel example, I was, I was up high off the deck. I didn't know what to do. And I just trusted my intuition and it went really well are, are very memorable. It feels really good. So I, I encourage you y'all to lean into, into that. It also makes me think of Adam Andra, who is probably the best onsider ever. And he talks about moving quickly and taking risks and just kind of trusting. It, it makes me think of almost that, that blindsiding you're talking about where you just go. I know there's sequencing involved in what he's doing, but ideally you can start to close those gaps where mm -hmm. uh, sequencing only gets you so far and blindsiding only gets you so far. And you really want to be able to use both of those to uh, the best of your abilities in, in each moment that you pull on. There is a biased optimal for climbing movements and there's a biomechanical optimal for climbing movements. It's kind of what Josh was talking about before. There, there is an objective biomechanical optimal for performing climbing movements, right? Depending on what body type you have for sure, depending on what strength level for sure. But given this person is, you know, uh, the standard for that one climb and that's just the optimal, you can define a biomechanical optimal for whatever standard you have. But there's always going to be a biased optimal. And as climbers, we have to understand, you know, none of us are really built in the the, the full climber's optimal state. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to have the full collection of all the strengths, all the techniques, and all the psychology that makes you a good climber. So with what we have, we have to figure out what our biased optimal is. And that's built through intuition. And that's built through this, this blindsiding thing. But we have to challenge that and flex that with our knowledge of biomechanical optimals and finding that out as well, right? And we have to constantly go back and forth. Now, Adam Andra is just probably the best climber at his biased optimal is so in line with the biomechanical optimal and he knows it. And that's why he talks about risk. I don't think it's important for everybody to risk. I don't think it's important for everybody to try to onsite climbs and always risk on everything. Because if you don't know your biased optimals very well and you don't trust those, that risk is only going to amount to a fall, right? But for him, for someone like him, who's really good at that and practice in that way, of course he has to risk. He can't always assign for every movement what the biomechanical optimal is, but his bias optimal is so damn close to the biomechanical optimal that it usually amounts to sending. It usually amounts to sticking the movements, right? But that has to be practiced. Dude, you're, you're just tossing out this biased optimal uh, versus biomechanical optimal. Like it's like it's just something that everyone should know. And it's really good what you're saying. I, I think that's that's that is that idea that there is an objective way, but then there's your way and your strengths at the time and maybe the conditions. Um and being able to understand what's appropriate when uh it it's I, I think this idea about intuition that needs to really be emphasized is that it is 
it is built, right? My, my intuition on day one of climbing was not as good as my intuition now. Uh, and that's actually something that I think Almandra, you know, one of the things that makes Almandra the best climber uh, maybe ever is his experience, right? It is the time he's put in and the building of that intuition. And uh, I, I think what I'm also hearing from you is that exposure and that uh, that that lack of arrogance that whatever you feel is right is right. And that uh, willingness to experiment and thus uh, refine your intuition so that in uh, in new situations, you can trust it better because you weren't so uh, pigheaded and you didn't just say, Hey, I'm <laughs> you know, like, I'm good at heel hooking. So I'm just going to heel hook, you know, cause, cause that's something I exactly. fall into. I think, and, and I think that's something that, you know, you glossed over, but maybe we should uh, also address when it comes to balance and trying to figure out this, this balance. And, and this actually, I think is answering that second question that I had earlier about how to execute once you've determined this is the 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 most optimal path for me forward. Um, this is how to execute it uh, and be the most quote unquote on balance you can be uh, in that move uh, is not overpowering things, right? Is, is uh, we all? I, I think ninety nine percent of us have a tendency to think strength first uh, is to pull harder, and pulling harder is always part of the equation. You know, trying hard is always part of the equation, but. You know, if that's what your intuition is, um, yeah, that you're you're probably wrong. I I guarantee you, Almandra. I mean, you can watch the videos of him talking about how he climbs, and I don't know if I've ever heard him just say like, "Oh, I just just should have pulled harder on that." It, it's always a refinement of how to make the move easier, right? Yeah, I think um, people get very, you know, this is a, a general thing that I've noticed in the climbing generation nowadays, you know, maybe it actually wasn't so much like this back in the day. But, you know, we're in this day and age of sending grades and, you know, media and, you know, sending benchmark, you know, moonboard climbs and going outside trying the classics and areas and, you know, people get really caught up in sending, right? But like, it's important that we all realize why we enjoyed climbing in the first place is so we can do things with our body, right? We can assign our body to do certain things. And as long as we understand exactly how that's supposed to be performed versus just trying to accomplish and climb something and trying to send something inherently in the long term, we will inherently, you know, as we teach ourselves better, right? My point is, is that we do want to remove ourselves from just the idea of getting a climb done. Uh, point is the reliance. You know, I think people very heavily weight just getting climbs done as opposed to doing movements, movements, climbing movements, right? We want to perform climbing movements. We want to step away from how hard are these climbing movements cohesively and what grade have I accomplished once I've done these climbing movements instead of mastering our climbing movements and seeing, do we understand what we are doing and how we can control that, right? It, whenever I pick up a client, the first thing, you know, the, the last question I ask in a consultation is, why do you want coaching? Why do you want to get better? Right. And people have to sit there and ask like themselves, what, what's important for this growth? Like, do I actually want to send the next grade? Do, is that important for me? And, you know, there's a difference between hitting me up for coaching because I don't offer training plans right away. I don't sell whatever. I help you learn your body better. I help you learn your climbing better. And I help you actually think about those things in a better way. And if you don't answer the question by saying, I just want to climb better. I just want to master climbing. I just want to feel better about my climbing. If that's not the answer to my question, why do you want coaching? And you probably don't want coaching. You probably don't want to get better at climbing. You probably want to just send harder grades. And you have to assess that by yourself and say, 
What is important for me in my climbing? Why did I walk into the climbing gym today? Why have I pulled on this boulder? Why do I keep pulling onto this boulder? Why do I keep pulling on this sport route, right? And it's important, yeah, for sure. And it's not for me to, to shit on people for great. I absolutely do. It's important for me to check my progress and keep going. But when I'm actually climbing in the gym, I try to just pay attention to my growth. You know, not so much like I'm going to Moe's and I'm trying to send a bunch of hard climbs in a day for sure. Like that's for me. That's just for fun. I'm not, you, you bet your ass. I'm not focusing on my balance. I'm not focusing on all these things. Maybe I am while I'm climbing, but in the day, my goal is to do the best that I can do. Right. But I've, I've specifically given myself that priority and that kind of guideline for what success is in that moment. But usually in the gym, in my climbing in general, which is why I'm so addicted to the gym climbing in general is because it's a place where I can focus on those things and I can practice and I can pay attention to what my body's supposed to do and why it doesn't do that or why it does do that. Well, I just want to help your business out, Tim. And if people uh, do want to reach out to you for things like, hey, uh, I've got nationals coming up and I want to make sure I'm peaking Tim, you can still help them with that stuff. It doesn't just have to be oh, for there. Sure. <laughs> no, but uh, I think I, I think what Tim's getting at is it, it's it, it links back to that first thing where a coach is trying to help you become the best version of yourself so that you can continue to progress even when they're not there. Because the truth is, Tim's not going to be by your side for the rest of your life. And uh, you, and again, when you tie in, you're by yourself anyway. So how can a coach really teach you? Like this is, this is just such a a, a nuance that I, I, I'm such a fan of coaching, but I'm not a fan of coaches who just make their athletes tired. And this doesn't have to just be in climbing. It's it's how do you actually really get better at the thing you're doing so that uh, when that when you stop getting coached, you still progress. So. Um, I want to uh, dive back into that 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 second part of that uh, sentence I had for you earlier. Earlier, and so let's say that I figured out what was. I believe I figured out what was optimal in that time. In you know my my uh, was it my my biased best or no my bio my bio <laughs> I all know Tim my bi- but uh-huh. yeah no my 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 biased optimal or my the one where it's. The best for me at that moment, I believe. Your bias optimal. Just, okay, my bias optimal. There you go. I like the I like those words, but I don't know. There's too many B's or something. It's getting me confused. Uh, so, let's say I, I I'm like, oh Tim, I need to. Uh, this is the foot. Uh, it's a smeary foot. I need to to go big off of it. Um, how do I execute it uh, to the best of my ability, and you know, get the? How do I? Make sure I am as balanced as I can be in that move. And how do I, if I'm feeling just awkward, um, what are some tools that I can or, or tricks that I can use to adjust my body to just hunt for uh, a little bit better balance? I think I've used that term, that hunt for stability that I see in great comp climbers when they're on like a giant volume with eight different ways to grab it. You can just see them just rapid fire. Does this work? Does this work? Um, and then how do I execute? And maybe you can bring in those tools of uh, video analysis or your friends, uh, because it's just like what you were saying where, uh, yeah, you put your foot on, but you're not actually using it. And you're just doing a pull-up with your arms and just maybe uh, walk me through what you would talk to a client about who believes that this is the beta, this is the the technique I need to use, but man, does it feel awkward and, and I'm not quite able to to do the move still. Totally. So yeah, this is, this is just where, um, 
this is where we go. This is, I mean, this is from my clients, you know, I learn them, figure out, you know, all their pain points. You know, generally my clients like to just tell me like, yeah, this is what I've done for the last couple of years is what my training is like. Why do I suck? Right. This is like the, the question I ask. I'm like, okay, let's just go climb. Let's just, <laughs> that's enough. I get it. Let's go climb. Let me put you on some climbs. Let's pick some climbs to do. It's like, okay, dope. So you actually get these things. These are things you understand your body's strong in this way. Cool. You cannot perform this climbing movement. What's up? So I'm telling you, the beta is this. I'm telling you the biomechanical optimal is this and you still can't perform it. What do I tell you? Okay, cool. So the first thing we do is video for sure. Like what we, what we just try to use is video to look back at our climbing movements. I usually go frame by frame and I see what fails first, right? So I just see what fails first. It's not so much necessarily what isn't working or like what doesn't feel what's working. Actually, what fails first, right? Are you, are you touching the hold and are your feet still on the wall? Are your feet off the wall when you're touching it? And where are they going? How much, you know, did you deliberately do that? Or are they picking off? What direction are they picking in? So how much pressure are you putting in what direction, right? Do your hands look like they're doing the, the work throughout the movement, right? Timing is everything, right? We had Al on many, many months ago, and he talked about timing is more important than strength, right? It is. The, the, the distribution of your, of your power over time is the most important part about your climbing movements. It's not so much, can you perform the climbing movements? It's, can you perform the climbing movements all together, right? Because now we figured out that, you know, as climbers, it's all kind of a puzzle, you know, that we have to solve with our bodies, right? Not so much, can you just pull this hold and grab this and how hard can you pull and how much tension can you perform in your core? It's kind of piecing it all together. So, you know, because of that, that's how we understand climbing to be, we have to work backwards. So if you fall, what fails first, right? And you just go down the checklist and you kind of have to figure out, okay, so based on what failed first, let's say it was this heel hook, right? Let's just say, uh, as I'm going for this move, the heel hook just kind of picks off. So what is it your awareness? Is it just that you don't know how to use your feet for a long period of time? So sometimes for climbers, I'll assign them drills to do. I'll just say at the start of your session, do five V2s and just think about your footwork the whole time and end your sessions with five V2s and just think about your feet the whole time, right? Something I call the bridge concept. So you can work on your bridge concept more, figuring out how you can use your whole body as a bridge and figure out all the points of your body that create a strong bridge, right? And practice that, right? And in cohesion with breath work, breath work can be assigned for specific mechanics in that way to strengthen your bridge as well. So if you're doing this far extended heel hook, this far extended toe move, you take the breath out, take it in, create the tension, put that focus into the foot right? Now you've brought the awareness to it. So now are you falling on the move? And, you know, nine times out of 10 actually will solve. <laughs> Most of the time people will actually perform the climbing movement that way. But if it's not that, then you're probably missing strength. You're probably missing some psychology. You're probably missing something else. And you just have to figure out what are you missing? Do we have to teach ourselves in the moment now? Or do we have to practice it and work on certain drills to help us? So for example, is it a commitment thing, right? Can you not jump and latch and stick this hole because you can't commit to it. Okay. So go to the campus board, start with rung one, jump to a crimp and stick it. Just get used to latching, right? Just get used to it because it's not what you think it is, right? You have to understand, do, does your bias in your body tell you why you should or should not do a movement? Then you have to figure out how to unbias that, right? And teach yourself through certain things. Now, whether that's just through language in the moment where you just say, okay, just think about this, just fire this, right? And that's what a coach is really good for. It's what you can be really good for if you watch the videos. Like, oh, well, you know, this fell off before I touched this hold. Okay, I'm just going to think about this longer. And you keep doing that and you're like, okay, I kind of suck at this. Like, I'm not very good at this. Go and practice. Otherwise, it's just that language. It's just what you tell yourself in the moment. Now, kind of, so kind of that, that's, that's the process. 
when you're performing, so that's all the development, right? And you're developing that idea. You're trying to figure out what you actually suck at and what you, you know, have to practice. And then you start to apply and you practice that. When you're performing, you don't want to think about these things. If you're trying to send a whole project, you don't necessarily want to have all of this conversation in your head. So what do I assign for a lot of my clients? I say, practice your breath work, assign the breath work to specific mechanics, practice those mechanics visualize and see the mechanics on the climbing wall and just time your breaths. If all you can focus on on the climbing wall is your breathing, then, and, and that breathing is associated with mechanics, that's intuition. So when you pull into the climbing wall, all I focus on the vast majority of the time is my breath work and my breath work just fires my body correctly. But I spend the vast majority of my time in the climbing gym practicing that and using my breath work to associate with mechanics. And I've just become a better climber in that way. Okay. That's really cool. I feel like that is step three. I want to go back to the <laughs> execute. It just, it's cause I, I hear what you're saying and that's uh, really interesting. And, and just, I like the idea of, of uh, practicing with things lumped together. So you only have to have one key that when you're executing, you can just focus on one thing and everything else is tied to right. it. So you aren't, you know, juggling eight different ideas in your head, but I want to go back to, to executing good mechanics on something that is difficult for you. And uh, I, I really like that idea of that. There's almost like a two layer breakdown. So first, what I heard is it, it could almost be like my pro tip where look, you're what's failing is your, your hand is blowing off this pinch. Okay. Like, you know, we just, we look time and time again, the first thing to blow is your hand off the pinch. Step one, like think about your thumb. Like, can you just, hold like put your effort towards holding that pinch just like you i think you used the the example of putting your effort towards keeping a foot you know get weight on that foot and then focus on that and to me that's kind of step one and i think that solves a lot of problems often you just say oh uh my foot blew think about keeping your foot on and, and it really is a, a first line of defense but uh i'd say that most of my efforts uh to unlocking a hard move for me end up being along that timing uh, and coordination that you talked about. And it made me think of uh, that climb uh, Lascott and two smoking barrels that it's like a, you know, famous deep bar yeah, solo. solo. Yeah. It, and it has a, a I, I'd say that the crux is, is the dino. I, I'd actually very clearly say the crux is the dino. Um, and it was hard for me. Uh, and I, I think of myself as being a good dino, but this made me think, I kind of wasn't. And the first thing that I did was I, I failed. You know, I didn't, I didn't get the hold. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm coming up short. And I just did this thing where I said, okay, it's a dyno. What do you do? Josh, you need to pull in closer to the wall. It's kind of the most classic thing to do for a dyno. You need to pull in and make sure that your trajectory is closer to the wall, more straight up. You know, you get more cause it's overhung. So I got my hips into the wall. I was able to jump off the feet uh, better cause I wasn't ejecting my seat or sorry, I said ejector seat because that's the climb right next to Lascott. Um, I wasn't ejecting my body straight out backwards. It was the trajectory was more up. So I try that. I'm like, okay, you know, I got this. This is the equivalent to just saying, use your thumb. I still wasn't getting high enough. So then I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing. I need to pull in and then jump really hard. Like I need to really think about actually getting weight, you know, actually jumping hard. So I pull in, I jump real hard. I'm still coming up short, Tim. So then I just, so now I start going to the details. Now I thought about, okay, I need to really 
jump off of my low foot to get weight onto my higher foot to pull in and then jump really hard. And, uh, you know, kind of went through a few iterations of that, actually tried a different foot, then realized it was that other one. But my point is, is I, I just kept layering on that mechanic, right? Like, and eventually when I latched it, dude, I latched it easily. Like, I mean, full on, like it, like the bucket that it was, uh, but it was just interesting how, you know, I did that. It was the coordination, the really fundamental mechanics. And, and I would also argue that that was kind of a, a sequencing almost. I mean, that's mechanics, mm-hmm. but also sequencing. It's like left foot up, pull in hard on your right foot, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then latch, uh, you really think about latching. So, uh, I just, before we moved on to that breath work, I wanted to make sure that what I'm repeating back to you is something that makes sense for how to execute. Um, because yeah, when I first pulled onto that, uh, dyno, what makes that dyno hard is it feels really awkward. Your hands are mm-hmm. over a bulge, but your feet are underneath a bulge. And then you have mm-hmm. to jump big. I just felt so weird to me, man. And I had to just keep peeling off the layers to make it feel, I'll say more on balance. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. You figured out what you needed to do for a climbing movement. Then you fell and figured out what was causing me from doing these climbing movements. And then you figured out based on what you have, how do I operate better based on timing, based on my understanding mechanics, based on whatever to operate those things. And that's the step-by-step process that I think you're talking about. So, you know, figure out why you fell, right. Or fall first, right. Like figure, assign what you're doing, figure out why you fell and you know, how, what, what do we do? What, what, what did our body do? And what is it not doing that caused a fall? Right. And figure out how do we interact with what we have to actually adjust that. Right. And that's what we work on step-by-step. Every try is just like, okay, well this time my left foot was here. And then I timed this to this, and then this is what happened. Right. But you're also, you have to kind of account for your ability to observe mechanics and see the difference between, you know, things that fail and, and don't fail and whatnot. And you, that comes through experimentation, right? So that's kind of that other process where you just constantly ask yourself the question like, well, if my foot's here versus here, what happens, right? What does it actually do? If I fire this one before this one, or this one in cohesion with this one, or this one after this one, what happens, right? And the more you understand that, the more you understand how mechanics actually refer to climbing movements, how mechanics actually perform climbing movements, you understand that, then you can actually look for the mechanics and then you can practice mechanics and then you can just get better at performing the mechanics over and over again. Right. It's just, well, it's constantly looking at all sides. And this is kind of the, the step into what you're talking about, about practicing mechanics, linking it to something that is best under your control, uh, like, like breathing so that you just have that kind of seamless, seamless approach while climbing and executing and, that's building intuition, right? Like intuition is basically just greasing the groove of what you do over and over again. I literally (laughs) said that word greasing the groove in my head because Josh always (laughs) says this, like, you know, Josh always says like, what? yeah, you know, people ask Josh, I'm sure all the time, what do you do for training, dude? You're so strong. You look so fluid on the wall. It's like, dude, I just do regular ass pull-ups just really well. I just think about all the muscles and I just do a lot of them. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I do too, man. I just do a lot of regular ass pull-ups and I do a lot of variations as well, but I just figure out how to grease my grooves. You just have to figure out what grooves you are trying to grease, right? So when you're greasing the grooves and your climbing movements, you know, what I was talking about, use your breath work to assign to certain mechanics, practice those mechanics so that when you climb on the climbing wall, you just focus on the breath, right? That's greasing the groove. But what is the groove? What is the groove? That's what you have to define for yourself. Now there's just a handful of grooves you can grease all the time in your climbing movements. And you just associate those with your, 
with your breaths, that's going to fire really, really, really well for you in the long term if you just pick a couple. But that's I've been working on my brace breathing, my my greasing of grooves in my mechanics for probably seven years. And I still am teaching myself new ones every day. I just pull on new climbing movements. I'm like, wow, this is a really weird, you know, body turn, drop knee. And while I do this big reach with my other hand, I have to and then core up into my feet. And this, this is just a weird mechanic for me. And I'm like, wow, but I figured it out. This is what I do. That way I can perform it consistently and I can actually feel that. So again, every time I just keep putting new things into my mechanic box, just what, what's new mechanics and climbing for me. And you just keep doing that, rinse and repeating. But as long as you practice them over and over again, that's how you grease those groups, right? So of course there's climbing movements that I have performed and have associated my breath work to that. But if I don't practice it all the time, it's not just gonna happen just like that. I have to actually be aware of what's happening and you know that's that's a totally other step that I, I i work on as well is doing that in the moment that through that adaptation and you want to have those grooves grease that are best that are best for you but that's not what i mean i i think it's better to say that when you're trying to figure out what is the the best balance or uh how to be best on balance in a move and you realize that there's about 10 ways you actually want to have each way <laughs> greased uh, f- when it's appropriate for that particular move, because you know, like we said, each move you are going to are going to pick one way, but there's often seven ways. And what you actually want is you want to be able to select the appropriate one and then have it kind of be just smooth and easy for you. Go, oh, it's this kind of move. And actually, when I used that example of the dino on Lascott and when I talked about how I broke down that move, it wasn't that it was some like giant epiphany for me that I needed to pull in. It was just like when I realized, Oh, maybe I'm just not pulling in enough. You know, I knew exactly what to do. I thought, okay, I'm going to pull in. And I had, I I have greased those grooves throughout my climbing career. And it just was like me layering them on. And so, yeah, it's, it's building that intuition, uh, having that practice and then knowing when to put each one into action. And then I think also what we went into that I like is then what happens if you fail, right? Like, so, so now what, you know, what's your next step? And I think it's really important to understand because we all know falling is, or, you know, climbing is a sport of falling. So what do you do? Like, do you just go on and try harder? You know, what's, what's your, your first line of defense. And hopefully we gave some insight into how Tim thinks and how Tim uh, teaches uh, his clients to really like, this is step one is, is balance it is. And what does that mean? Okay. Well, balance is about being in the optimal position and moving optimally for this move to be successful. And how do you do those optimal moves? That's more mechanics. And I think we, we made some, some efforts to describe in the layering. So, uh, Tim, I know, I, I know you want to go into breathing. I know you want to go more into sequencing, but I, I think, uh, this was, this was a fun way to just really talk about step one uh, and how it applies from day one at the gym to day 1000. Hell yeah, Josh, that was fun. I don't want to go into that stuff right now because this will be a six hour long podcast, <laughs> but maybe we'll talk about it in the future. And uh, yeah, this is uh, all stuff that. Hold on. As we wrapped him. Wait, sorry. You were going to say this is all stuff that I, I totally interrupted you. Go go ahead. No, that's, uh, it's all stuff that I talk about in any coaching session, man. It's, you know, if, if anyone is interested, you can schedule an AMA with me and I can do it for you in your own climbing sessions. That's, that's what, that's what Tespi's coaching is all about. 
Yeah, it's actually kind of why I like the the AMA stuff too. Is you know we're all we're really focused on bespoke coaching, right? This idea that everyone is different, but just like we were saying, that the goal of a coach. I mean, yes, it would be nice to have a coach with you literally every time you're climbing in your ear, helping you be the best you can be. But in some ways, like a coach should be trying to make themselves obsolete, right? Like, you know, you could talk to Tim for an hour and maybe he unlocks something. And the the idea is, is that that unlock helps you for a lot more than that hour you were talking to him. And so, yeah, I, I... I don't know. I, I just think it's important to to recognize that that's what coaching should be about. It's about so that you can be your own coach. You can be a better version of yourself. Um, so, yeah, yeah, if a coach uh, just gets you up something, if a coach sprays and gets you up something and you send that climb, but you don't know why and you don't know how to do it again, you did not get coached. You got helped. <laughs> that's kind of what your that's kind of what your buddies do though, right? That's kind of like almost what you do when you're uh, in a session. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is it's like, oh, try this, man. This worked for me, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like. That's just part of the equation. That's that's a, a one yeah, moment for so. sure. Um, dude, the, the reason why I interrupt you and I wanted to I wanted to to wrap on uh, the climb. Have you seen the climb yet, man? No, Have I haven't actually. <sighs> yeah, I haven't. Okay, well, the reason why I, I bring it up is because they start the show in Mallorca, which is where that Lost Got and Two Smoking Barrels is, and then they end it in Mallorca. And so oh, you don't have to watch the whole whole thing. It's there's it's kind of cringe. Not gonna lie. The, the Jason, <laughs> Jason Momoa, um, I'm sure he's a great dude. Um, and actually, he really does love climbing. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's just the whole thing is it's a reality TV show. But they start in Mallorca. And actually, the climbs they're on are, are terrible on the first episode. But the the climbs they do at the end are in Cova del Diablo. And I don't want to give too much away. But they climb, they climb this 512B or something that I would argue is one of the best climbs of that grade in the nice. world. And uh, yeah, dude, we got to go there. You, you lost got has got to be one of the coolest climbs in the world. It's um, I'm sure you heard it that, here first. Dosage. Our next, our next test piece episodes in Mallorca. Josh is sending <laughs> us there. <laughs> yeah. The show is, is definitely sponsored by test piece. No, dude, you should get a black diamond trip out there. I, I think you could get all oh, of right. the athletes would be psyched to go out there and you should get on Espontis. And um, anyways, yeah. Uh, well, good stuff, Tim. Thanks for, uh, shining some light onto some of the most basic things that you, uh, tackle with your clients. I I love just going right to the, the meat of what is important in climbing. And I think again, that the reason why you can tell it's important is because it scales from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And hopefully we give you guys some, you guys and girls, some, some tricks and tips for, uh, understanding, uh, what's going wrong and, and how to correct it and just uh, building that intuition better into your practice. All right. Tim gave me the thumbs up, which means bye everyone. Thanks so much. Take care. <laughs> See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about test piece climbing, you can check us out at testpiececlimbing.com and even book a session with one of our coaches. Thank you.